1: You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. It's here, it's hot, and it's a must read. It's the science behind the Law of Attraction magazine. Every issue brings you great articles and in depth how to's from all your favorite Law of Attraction experts authors scientists and medical professionals go to law of that's law of attraction magazine molecules of emotion. meditation Geologic remote field. viewing nootropics miracles of mind. And super learning the physiology of trauma PSI. No. Morphogenic resonance, heart intelligence, theater of the mind podcast, accelerating the evolution of human consciousness, theater of the mind podcast, brought to you by Brainsync.com. CDs and MP3 downloads for peak performance at Brainsync.com. Expand your knowledge of the body mind connection and learn how to tap the other 90% of your unused potential.
3: Hello, and welcome once again to the Theater of the Mind, your host, Kelly Howell. I have a great show for you today. My guest, Jen Sincero, is back. She's the author of the number one New York Times bestseller, You're a Badass How to Stop Doubting Your Greatness and Start Living an Awesome Life. You're a Badass has sold over a million copies and it's available in more than 20 languages. Today, Jen is with us to talk about her new book, You Are a Badass at Making Money. And I can tell you, she certainly is. Jen went from living in a converted garage, eating dollar tacos every night, to owning her own seven-figure, not six, seven-figure business and traveling the world in style. She's a success coach, author, motivational speaker, and all-around awesome, human being. Jen has spent more than a decade traveling around the world, helping people transform their lives and their bank accounts. Hello, my friend. Welcome back. Hey, Kelly. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm glad we got to squeeze this in before your big book launch. Yay. Yay. Well, hey, let's start off with you. Okay. Clearly something happened. There was some catalyst that changed your money story. What was it? Was it an aha moment? Or did you follow a routine to get your mind out of the poverty rut? Was it a
0: gradual shift in consciousness? You know, I think it was a gradual shift. And like most gradual shifts, it sort of seems to happen overnight. You know, it's like, for so long, I was complaining about being broke. And scraping by I mean into my 40s I was in my 40s when I finally got my act together and I it was really just the decision it was the mindset shift where I decided that I was so bored to tears by listening to myself say the same things over and not being able to do the things I wanted to do because I was so broke all the time so it really came down to just a no-nonsense decision to do whatever it took and what was that decision? Yeah, I, um, you know, complete anything I could get my hands on. I read self-help books. I went to every money-making seminar. My my big transformation was really around money in the beginning. Um, and I just decided to to go for opportunities that I, before I had made this decision, would have passed on. You know, like, oh, that that money making seminar is too cheesy for me because I'm too cool or I'm not going to get caught dead reading that stupid self-help book. I know what I'm doing. You know, those really helpful decisions that I was making in the (laughs) old days. (laughs) Um, So I really did. And whenever an opportunity came to me, if it, even if I didn't know where it was leading, I, I considered things that I never considered before because I had made that decision. And the, the biggest thing that came along was I, um, after going through a series of these, seminars and opening myself up to just participating on a different level, I met a life coach and it was a woman who specifically helped women transform their money stories. And she cost, you know, at the time, I think it was $7,000, which might as well have been 200,000 to me at the time. But I, I signed up with her and worked with her. I put it on my credit card. I went to debt. I scared the living crap out of myself. Um, I never would have done that before I had made that decision. And she helped me completely completely start my own business and completely transform my money story. So it was worth every penny. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: So you've got this new book, You're a Badass at Making Money. I love it. I really enjoyed reading it. I'm going to be giving it to people, especially my son. Um, <laughs> what are some of the hangups that
0: people don't even know they have about money? Well, so many of us have such a push pull relationship with it and myself included for sure. So one of the most interesting exercises is to write a letter to money as if it is a person. So there's a lot of I love you, I wish I had more of you, but I think you're the root of all evil and I feel dirty even admitting that I want you. I think people who have, you know, who are shallow and have no values go after you. You know, it's it's a really sobering exercise and So, you know, if you if you're broke, uh, I highly recommend doing that exercise because it brings to light a lot of your deep subconscious beliefs around money, because in in our conscious minds, we're like, yeah, bring it on. I'll take tons of money, (laughs) you know, but then we've got these judgments that are holding us back.
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember when I was poor Mm -hmm. and I decided I wanted to make money. I discovered that I had a lot of guilt around that. Interesting. Like, like there's something wrong about wanting to be successful. I don't know where that comes from. But, you know, people have all kinds of strange hangups around money, don't
0: you think? I think it is easily the most loaded topic more. I've written about sex, you know, and, and religion. I think money is... Right up there, if not in first place, I don't know, I I might put it in first place. (laughs) Well, it is, it is a big issue. (laughs) It is. It really is. And it's so conflicted. It's, 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 it's not surprising to me that so many people are in such struggle with it, because we we've really done a number on ourselves um, with the judgments around it.
3: What are the most
0: commonly held beliefs that everyone needs to ditch now? (laughs) Yeah, Um, that it's not okay to desire it. I mean, think about it, guys, it's everywhere like it or not, you need it to eat, you need it to drive down the street, you need it to put clothes on your back, you need it. It's everywhere. So embrace it as opposed to be disgusted by it. It's part of life. Um, I had a big belief, and this is a really common one that most people don't realize. I, for some reason, didn't think it was available to me. I would see people with, you know, fancy houses and boats and whatever, and I would almost feel like they were a different species than I was. So understanding that it truly is just as available to you as it is to anybody else. What do you think that is, that
3: thought? I think a lot of people have that. Oh, they can have it, but I don't deserve it. You know, they, they're they lucky. I'm not. You know... I think it
0: has to do with, I don't know. I think, I think this is a really, really deep one where you almost don't even consider it. I think what it is, is we get so caught up in our present realities, right? So there I am living in my converted garage, hanging out with my broke friends, doing broke things. So that's my reality and that's my comfort zone. And when I see somebody drive by in a Bentley or, you know, whatever, um, It's so outside of my realm of reality that I almost can't take it in. And so I think this is, you know, we see it all the time when we're transforming our lives. We're coming at it from the point of view that we're currently buying into, right? So the whole mind expansion and opening up to new possibility and getting into the flow is shifting your perspective out of that space that you're in. And I think this is a really good example of doing that, where you have to Even though you may have a lifetime of proof that you actually can't make money, that you suck at it or whatever, you have to open your mind and invite in that possibility. That's the first huge step you got to take.
3: And what about like if you see someone who's really rich or a friend gets very successful and there's that tinge of jealousy or envy? What do you say to that?
0: I think that's very real. And I think that that is also why people won't let themselves get rich because they're worried they're going to lose all their friends. And certainly, I don't know about you, but I certainly lost some people along the way. Um, But I also gained some people. And, and I, you know, when you change your relationships with everybody else changes. So that's another thing that's uncomfortable for human beings. Yeah, people get a whole
3: identity wrapped up around. Totally. Yeah. 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 Being poor, being broke, being an artist.
0: Oh, my God. Being a musician. I had that in spades. I was, I was so, my mother is still just like, you hated money. I can't believe out of all of my children, you're the one.
3: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know someone else like that. I won't say his name, but <laughs> he's 27. And, you know, there's,
0: it's just yeah. something I think uh, artists also, in a way, have to grow out of. And it's such a boring line, the starving artist. What is glamorous about that? Not one thing. (laughs) I've been an artist, and I've been broke, and I've been an artist, and I've been rich, and I'll tell you, I'll take the rich version every day.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you say in your book, what comes out of your mouth comes into your life. I really like what you said about how language defines and shapes our perception of
0: reality. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: Could you just give us some examples? Sure, Sure, you know this is, there's a really great book. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's called conscious language. No. Oh, it's a goodie. It's good. It's, it's a bit of a meatball. Parts of it are just like, wow. But it's really interesting. It goes super duper in depth, um, into this topic. And, um, they talk about how using words like I want a big house, I want to get rich. I wish I had more money. Um, want literally means I lack. So if you keep telling yourself over and over, I lack money, I lack money. It reinforces that belief. I mean, if you think about it, if you tell a a little girl that she's stupid her whole life, right? How many adults have this weird feeling that they're stupid, even though they're brilliant, you know, it's because they were told their whole lives, they were stupid words. Totally. We buy into them so easily. I mean, look at I mean, just the things that you can persuade people to do with words. You can persuade people to do things that aren't in their own interest if you're a good speaker, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they're super powerful. And you listen to the words that come out of your own mouth all day long. So you're buying into whatever it is you're saying. So if you're interested in transforming your life and especially your financial life, You have to change your language. Absolutely. this. I'm broke. I don't know what I'm doing. The economy sucks. Um, There's not enough. I never have enough. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I don't have any money. Right. Right? (laughs) It's hard to make money. Right. It's going to be no fun. I'm going to have to do stuff I hate to make money.
3: So what do you do to change your, your language? Do you do affirmations?
0: Um, I think the best place to start is to pay attention to what your favorite lousy lines are about money. So pay attention to what, you know, if your big thing is I'm broke, I don't have the money, I can't afford it. Whatever your slogan of choice is, uh, really look at that and find something that turns that around. You know, so if your big thing is I can't afford it. Maybe you start saying, money is all around me, and I receive it with great joy. You know, something like that, that's got a completely different energy to it.
3: Yeah, just start changing the language. Yeah. Okay, another thing you, you have in your book that I enjoyed was you write about dethroning the little prince that mm-hmm. is your subconscious mind. I love that analogy. I just love it. And could you explain it to everyone how the subconscious is like a little prince, and why we need to dethrone it?
0: Sure. So it's basically when you're a little kid, um, you take everything at face value. You haven't developed this analytical side of your brain yet. And I compare it to, it's sort of like a little prince who becomes king when his father dies, completely unprepared for this adult responsibility. Um, So this is what happens when we grow up. It's, uh, I'm not explaining this well at all. Okay. Basically, we take in all this information as children it gets lodged into our brains as the truth because we haven't developed our analytical minds yet and then we grow into adults and we're still being ruled by these quote unquote truths that we that we have been holding on to as kids so that's like the little prince we're being ruled by this little prince but now we're adults and 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 these things don't don't work for us anymore So I think that a big part of self-transformation is getting clear on what these limiting beliefs and thoughts are that are the little prince and dethroning him and um, doing exactly what we just said, like seeing what's coming out of your mouth and changing those words around to things that are more empowering. Because the problem is a lot of times we go through life and we're not aware at all. It's so natural. It's so part of us. It's so the truth, right? Right. You know, my truth was I didn't know how to make money. I was in my 40s and I was still eating at Taco Bell, you know. So I really bought into that stuff and it wasn't until I had the audacity to believe that everything that I held true might not be true that my life started changing.
3: Money is a great place for personal growth. Mm-hmm. Like if you start if you say to yourself, "I want to be rich, I want to make more money, it's going to bring up a can of worms. Mm-hmm. And uh, it causes one to begin looking at their thoughts, their their perceptions, their concepts. It's really a deep subject. Mm-hmm. We think of money as, you know, all money, but, um, but it's a
0: wonderful tool for mm-hmm. self-development. Absolutely, absolutely. And so that's, and I love that you said that because it, that makes it almost more fun, right? I think that a big problem with this is we think that we're going to have to do the work and that it's going to be this big overhaul and money is so confusing and so elusive But if you look at it as it's almost a gift now where it's like, okay, I clearly have issues with money. And so I'm going to face those issues, not only so that I can get into the flow and start manifesting wealth, but it's going to shift who I am, which is going to shift everything else in my life. So thanks money. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Making money and and doing this
3: whole process can be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. 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 It's more fun than not making money hello. <laughs> and,
0: and you know what it's, and the other thing is too, everybody sort of makes it seem so hard. It's hard being broke. It's hard being stuck in these limiting thoughts. It's hard feeling like you're a victim to circumstance. Oh, it's um, terrible. Right. Reading yeah. a damn self-help book and listening to CDs like yours and getting your act together in this department is not hard. It's really fun and liberating and, and it can happen quickly. I don't know about you, but once I started getting my poop in a scoop. It my transformation went pretty damn quick. Yeah, me too. It, it all started with me deciding, right,
3: that I wanted to make money and I wanted to be successful and I wanted to help people in the process, of course. Yeah. And uh, you know, it was all bundled together in a wonderful package. Yeah. Okay, so what do you mean in your book that when you say that we need to be more available for the ridiculous them for reality.
0: It's that whole concept of even though I've been broke for 40 years, which is quote unquote reality, I'm going to make seven figures. Um, That is ridiculous for somebody who was in the circumstance I was in. So it's that mind shift from staring at what's right in front of you and pretending that your circumstances and your environment are the quote unquote truth and opening up your perception to accept the ridiculous, which really—I mean—the life I'm living now. If you had told me this ten years ago, I would have—I would not have believed you at all. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> I mean, yeah. So it is ridiculous in a way, right? Because we 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 are so attached to the truth of our—not the truth—the you know supposed truth the of story. our story. The story. Right. Thank you. Yeah. So. Yeah.
3: In terms of being ridiculous, you mean outlandish,
0: unexpected? Unexpected, never done before by me, proven impossible by me, uh, something maybe none of my friends and family have ever done. You know, it's a big, it can be a big fat leap. And I understand why it's terrifying. I mean, it's still, it really is scary to change so radically from what everybody who knows and loves you is used to you being because stuff does change, but man, and, and give people a chance to like, don't assume that just because you change, everybody's going to freak out. <laughs> you know, it's really created some lovely new, all of my relationships shifted, but the, the real juicy good ones have gotten even, you know, better because I'm better. I'm, I'm more awake and in touch with my power and my joy. And that just benefits everybody I love, I think. And the people who fell by the wayside weren't meant to stick around anyway. I think people also build
3: these very strong paradigms. You can build up a story around poverty and why you don't have money. And it can be so convincing. Mm. Everywhere you look, there's more proof that you're right. You just keep finding confirmation, confirmation. Right. Yeah, that's right. I don't have money. I It's hard to make money. Uh, the economy is bad. There aren't any jobs. The business that I'm in is over. It's a challenge to break through those paradigms and beliefs. How do you suggest people bust themselves or bust up these paradigms?
0: Um, well, as you know, like you said, it's the decision. First of all, decide that no matter how true it may be to you just decide that you're no longer available for the current reality and that you are going to change it and it's i love that you put it in that way because you know what you focus on you create more of so if you decide that it's really important to you to be right about how hard it is to make money i'm broke because of the economy not because i'm not you know doing anything right you know, take that responsibility, what you focus on, you create more of. So if you keep looking for proof, you'll find it. But if you start looking for proof of abundance and opportunity and expansion and miracles, you'll find those too. So it's that decision to shift your perspective and focus on that, which you desire rather than that, which is completely bumming you out.
3: Yeah, these stories can be very deeply rooted. Mhm. It's challenging because it's, yeah. It's also the way the mind works. It's like if you've got a very strong story playing out in your life, you're going to find proof everywhere you turn.
0: Yeah, and it's almost we almost feel like our survival depends upon it. And it does. Our survival as the person we identify as does depend on it. So it's this primal thing and one of one of the best ways to break yourself out of it, which certainly was my my case, is to scare the living crap out of yourself. So, oh,
3: I like that. How do you do that? Boo?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, so, for example, with my coach, I, wanted, I was so ready to make money. I'd made the decision. I was doing all these things. And then I met somebody who's like, sure, I can totally help you. $7,000, please. I lost my mind. I was just like, I know she could help me. I told she did it. You know, she transformed her money story. I really liked her. She was smart and she's, and she would not budge on the fee. And I'm so glad she didn't because it forced me to break out of that. I don't have the money story and put it on my credit card. I was plenty in debt. Thank you very much. But I took that huge leap of faith in myself and her and the universe. And that was probably the scariest thing I could have done at that time in my life was spend that kind of money. And by doing that, I'm not kidding. I called her back like five minutes after I put the charge on my card and begged her to give me my money back. Oh no, that's so and, funny. Her credit, She was like, Jen, this is probably the most important $7,000 you will ever spend. And she was right, actually. Wow. Yeah. So the thing, here's the thing the universe is on your side and when you decide to change your life and you make that decision you're like i'm available i'm open show me the way because of course you don't know the way yet you haven't done it yet it's outside of your present scope of reality you will get an intuitive hit of something to do and if it scares the living crap out of you you have to jump on it so fast because if you wait all your doubt, fears, and worries that have kept you where you are right now in your yummy little comfort zone will start to seep in and talk you out of it so fast. So, you know, listen for those intuitive hits and jump on them if they if they're going in the direction of where you want to go. And don't talk yourself out of it because that's exactly. And if you're not scared, it's not the right one.
3: <laughs> oh, it should be risky, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Is that what you mean by shake up the cocktail of creation?
0: Yes, that's part of it. The cocktail of creation is, um, is, yeah, listening to your intuition, leaping into the unknown, taking risks and sticking with it. Tenacity is a big part of it, too. You know, never giving up. Because that's the whole thing about deciding, right? We think we've decided, but the second it gets too expensive or scary or we're going to look like a moron, we drop the ball. Um, deciding means you're going at it, like you burn the bridges, um, and being grateful that it already exists, really anchoring in that gratitude and that excitement and that energy that it's already here. You're talking about taking a big leap of faith. Yep. Faith is huge. Faith is, if you don't have faith, you won't do it. You know, if you don't have some piece inside of you that has faith that this exists, you won't do what you need to do to get there because you've got to do scary things to get there and you've got to strengthen that faith muscle and um, and and focus on that. That's why focusing on what you desire and focusing on all the proof that what you desire exists as opposed to all the proof that what you don't want exists is so important because it strengthens your faith where you put your focus.
3: Yeah, well, look at our money too. I, I mm-hmm. had a dream once and I was out in, in space and, All the stars were glittering and then one started coming in close up and it was a big quarter and all I could see Mm -hmm. were the words, in God we trust. (gasps) And it was like my money story. I had to have more faith.
0: Interesting.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I love that dream. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I was broke and I was working on my money issues and that dream came through and it was just one of those... (gasps) Oh, right. I need more faith. I need to trust this. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. What do you say to people who love their job, they love their work, but they don't
0: make much money at it? Well, that's, you know, if you work for somebody else, are you talking about entrepreneurs or people who work for somebody else? Both. 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 Well, okay. So there's, I'm, you know, we're both entrepreneurs and, um, that the beautiful thing about entrepreneurism is the sky is the limit when it goes to what you're making. So if you're not making much money at your business, I, I gotta say, hire a coach, work with somebody who knows more than you do, who will push you, who will help you see what you can't see. That's right in front of you. That is one of the most beautiful things about getting coaching. I think is that, Sometimes we can't see the forest for the trees because we're so in it, right? But mm. a coach is looking down from a higher place and they can literally in 30 seconds tell you something that would take you the next three years to figure out. So I, it's, it's some of the best money I ever spent. So I highly recommend getting a mentor if you've got your own business and you're serious about growing it. Um, if you're working for somebody else and you're not making the kind of money you desire, you know they are the boss. They They tell you what you make. There are certainly ways that you can grow within the company. Like look around and see maybe if there's more opportunities for that company to make money and, you know, pitch a proposal to your boss, get entrepreneurial within your job. Uh, see if you can work on a commission basis, see if there's room for a promotion, get creative in the job that you've got, you know, and then there's also the the side job option. Um, there's plenty, especially with the internet, there's so many things you can do on the side, to bring in some more cash, like eBay and selling stuff and and monetizing whatever hobbies you've got that you're really good at. I mean, I have a friend who is the most organized person on earth, and she's making a killing just helping people clean out their garages. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I know. You can get
3: very um, creative these days with the internet. Yeah. What are our tips for this
0: year, making more money than ever before? Um, I would say the first... If you, I'm if we're talking big transformation, big, big, big. Okay, big, God. big. Re- we don't like to, to do money. little. Okay, good.
3: Write <laughs> <laughs> a letter to money. I'll write a letter to money.
0: Okay, yes, that's the first thing. Like we and a- and
3: wait. And now, how brutal is this letter? Everything.
0: It's Everything. a complete yes. Dream of consciousness. Just let it rip. Let it rip. And it's almost easier if you make it like a person because you're having a relationship with it. And the reason that we block ourselves so much is our our relationship isn't healthy. If we treated another human being, if we had the same attitudes towards another human being that we have towards money, we we wouldn't be very popular. No, (laughs) we'd probably be divorced many times over. (laughs) (laughs) Very much alone. So write that letter to money. And see where your judgments are and where your fear and loathing is. And then, so that's the first step. Then pull out those sentences and rewrite them into things that fill you up, that that crack you out of your certain mode of op, modus operandi and opens you up to a new way of believing and feeling. It's really important that you feel these new affirmations, that they lift your energy up. And say those affirmations all the time. Start looking for opportunity. Start, um, you know, welcoming in. um, Start doing things you've never done before. Start leaping on opportunities. Even if you don't know where it's going, if you get some sort of hit, really trust your intuition on this, you know. Because the thing that's so beautiful about intuition in this circumstance is your intuition is your direct line to God. Your intuition is is the voice of your highest self. Your brain is much, I love my brain, but, um, it's sort of, it's locked into the old me and into the current quote unquote reality I'm existing in. Intuition has nothing to do with that. So yeah, transcends. Exactly. Yeah. So start listening to your intuition more. And when you get a hit on something that feels right, especially if it's scary, jump on it immediately make the decision to do that you're going to get rich. So what that decision means is when you come up against, so the intuition has fed you an amazing opportunity. The brain comes in and is like, I can't afford to hire that coach. The decision says, but I have decided I'm going to get rich and I'm going to do what it takes. Instead of saying, I can't afford it. You start to look to, I'm going to find that money. That money is here for me somewhere. I'm making it happen. It shifts you out of the excuse into the belief that anything is possible, and that opens you up. It's true,
3: isn't it? It is so true. You know, I started BrainSync with uh, all I had was five thousand dollars.
0: Oh my gosh, Kelly!
3: And I blew it all on one mailing. Talk about rolling the dice! Wow! And I had a little, my little boy, wow, and single mom, and it was like a bonanza. <laughs> it just That's you know I just never spent. I took that yeah, I took that mm-hmm. risk and it's been so good to me ever since. so yeah so, and you kept growing
0: from there. it's like oh and- yeah,
3: oh yeah. I mean I was. <laughs> We were shipping cassettes from my kitchen. I had no idea I was going to get so many orders, and I had to have friends come over, and we had to pack
0: all this stuff. Oh and- my gosh! <laughs> so exciting! It's yeah. so exciting, and you really do—you feel like you're just on this tidal wave. Like, there's a great line in the book um, *Think and Grow Rich*. I think it's that one, yeah, by Napoleon Hill. If anybody, oh has yeah, that. Napoleon great. Hill's great—the the, old timey one. But it says something like. Um, Once you start making money, it starts coming in so fast and furiously, you wonder, you'll wonder where it's been this whole time. And I have certainly had that experience. Like once I cracked the code, it really is. It's like you get into the, into the, into the vortex with it. So you're, it's your new normal, you know, you have, you've stepped into a new reality and then it really, I mean, I am so grateful and amazed, but it's true. Like it just. It's who it I just am. just pours in. Yeah. yeah. It's an energy. So mm-hmm. it's very exciting. <laughs> so
3: check her website out. It's jensincero.com. And uh, her book is You're a Badass at Making Money. Hey, Jen, thanks so
0: much. Thank you so much, Kelly. It's always so fun to talk to you.
3: Hello, and welcome back to Theater of the Mind, your host, Kelly Howell. Today we're going to talk about what it means to be an empath. I know I'm an empath, and I'm sure plenty of you who are listening to this show are empaths as well. Research shows that one out of every five people are highly sensitive. But what's the difference between having empathy and being an empath? Empathy means that our hearts go out to another person, but empaths actually feel other people's emotions and physical symptoms in their own bodies. Dr. Judith Orloff is a psychiatrist and an empath. She's the New York Times bestselling author of Emotional Freedom and the Empath Guide, Survival Guide to Life Strategies for Sensitive People. Her groundbreaking work has been featured on the Today Show, CNN, USA, Today, Oprah Magazine, PBS, and Psychology Today. Dr. Orloff, welcome. Thanks so much for coming on the show. You're very welcome. Well, tell us why you wrote the Empath Survival Guide and and how you use your empathic abilities in your medical practice. I, I imagine it must have been difficult being a psychiatrist without having written the book that you wrote (laughs) to really define what it means to be an empath and dealing with so many people?
2: Yes. Well, I'm a psychiatrist. I'm an MD. I have traditional medical training at UCLA and USC, and I'm also an empath. And as somebody who knows how to or can sense what's going on in other people and but empaths tend to absorb it into their own bodies which can be a problem and so I wrote the empath survival guide to present sort of a practical guide for all sensitive people and empaths and people who want to keep their hearts open in this often very insensitive and overwhelming world how do you do that without burning out or going on sensory overload And as you mentioned, yeah, it was difficult for me as a child being an empath and not having anybody really to explain it to me. Because I could go into shopping malls or crowded places and I'd be fine walking in. But when I left, I'd be sick or with some ache or pain I didn't have before or anxious or depressed. And I didn't realize that I was an emotional sponge just picking up you know, all the energy fields of the people in, in the crowded place in the shopping mall and you know, wherever I was. And so my parents who are both physicians said, Oh, dear, you need to get a thicker skin, which, you know, is not the answer to being an empath It's to develop very strong grounding and centering strategies and setting clear boundaries so that you can enhance your sensitivities.
3: I don't think it's even possible to develop a thicker skin, is it?
2: Yeah, I I mean, in a way, in a way, like people shut off and they grow numb and they Mm. block things out. And that's not the answer to this. But so many empaths come to me suffering because they've gone through traditional medicine. They've had aches or pains. They've had mystery symptoms. They've had all kinds of problems with anxiety and depression Sensory overload, and they've been given medication, and that is not the primary treatment for being an empath. The primary yes,
3: you you even write in your book too that people tend to numb out, you know, with food or alcohol or drugs because it's too much. Yeah, cope with
2: exactly. There's a chapter on empaths and addictions. Because I've treated so many people in recovery from addictions and 12-step programs, many of them, now who talk about, you know, life was just too overwhelming. I was on sensory overload. It was just too much for me. So I needed a drink. I needed to use. I needed, you know, sex. I needed food. I needed whatever it was to numb it. Mm-hmm. It was just too much.
3: What, what, are, what are some of the most typical indications that empaths feel growing up? like you know cuz i think it's real apparent when you're young you feel left out you feel alienated you you feel awkward what what are some of the um the indications that you've found
2: right well sensitive children there's a chapter in the book on raising Empathic children and what if you're an empathic parent? How do you deal with the extreme stress of having children, you know, and and do it well and do it with grace and comfort? Um, But how do you know if a child is an empath? No, they're very sensitive to everything. They're very caring and compassionate. um, And they tend to like to play alone or they need a lot of alone time in order to replenish themselves They don't like going to, let's say, you know, big sports events or risk taking activities because empaths children are, are cautious because they have strong intuition that guides them. And so sometimes empath children are left out because they're sensitive and they love nature and they they love people, but they get overwhelmed by too many play dates. I have patients who are parents who just overschedule their empath children and it's just torture for them because it's just too much stimulation. Um, so those are some of the signs of, of being an empath child. And and you could nurture your empathic children's gifts. That's what I really encourage. You know, if I had parents who said, oh, you know, let's sit in and meditate for a little while to calm you down, you know, rather than, oh my God, you're so stressed. Why are you so upset? Why do you need to be alone so much? You know, that kind of thing. So it's a very <laughs> it's a very different attitude when you have supportive parents.
3: You know, it was very interesting when my son was maybe, I don't know, three years old. It was Christmas time and I took him into Toys R Us after school. You know, there was all the excitement in your kid. Maybe he was four or five. I don't remember how old. But um, we walked through the store and talking about Santa Claus and what he wanted. And he actually had a major meltdown, fell on the floor crying. It was all too much. Yeah. And he's an empath. And I, you know, it's like it's too much overstimulation
2: that's so true. Uh, children, empathic children don't like going in big places like Toys Us uh-huh. or Costco. You know, I, I have to brace myself before I go into Costco at, at this point in my life, because it's just so overwhelming. All the people, all the energy fields, you know, it's not my favorite place. I, Like many empaths, I prefer smaller stores um, where there aren't you know, not a lot of parking and there's not a lot of people and, you know, just smaller stores or smaller interactions Empaths pass often love one to one or small groups versus loud parties or large gatherings, you know, versus, um, you know, other types of people, you know, who get energy from crowds or get energy from parties. And I I just want to say and emphasize that there's introverted empaths, and there are also some extroverted empaths, too. So not all empaths are introverted. But the extroverted ones need the quiet time, need to replenish. But out in social situations, they're a little more social. They like the small talk, whereas introverted empaths just don't like small talk at all. It's painful. Um, And... You know, they're a little bit more, you know, extroverted, but they're still empaths. So not all, most empaths are introverted, but not all of them. Interesting.
3: You have a great um, kind of a a quiz in your book Yeah. Uh, to tell if you're an empath. Um, do you want to just talk about some of those items
2: that you ask people? Sure. Um, have you been labeled as overly sensitive? Quote you know, meant as a criticism. Now, do you replenish yourself alone and need a lot of alone time to refuel? And that's a signature of an empath. Do you have sensitivities to loud noises, excessive talking, or strong smells? As empaths often can't stand chronic talkers or, you know, a lot of perfume. When I go into a An elevator and there's perfume, it's the feeling of being nuked. It's so awful to me. Whereas other people will go in and say, Oh, it's such a pretty scent. Uh, So empaths are very sensitive to scents. In fact, they often have chemical sensitivities. Um, Another question is Do you love nature? As empaths often love to be with nature, do you love animals? There's a type of empath I talk about in the book called an animal empath. And animal empaths have a special communion and communication with animals are you intuitive um do you like to take your own car places so you can leave when you please uh this is a savior for empaths so they're not stuck in social situations longer than they're comfortable as i I,
3: and, and what about like being in a workshop over a weekend or you know in a large group of people
2: yeah. You know, I, I, I give empath workshops. I'm actually giving <laughs> at Esalen in, in July, but that's always the dilemma because it's a, you know, it could be a group of a hundred. And so what do you do if you're an empath and you go to a large workshop? Now, number one, you could sit on the sides of the room. I give it a big white tent at Esalen. So you could sit at the edge of the tent. Um, and you know, you can, a lot of my empaths take breaks in and out, but you know, you have to learn how to um, what I'm teaching strategy, strategies to breathe and center yourself and and learn how to feel comfortable and centered when other people are talking about what, whatever their pain or their experience in life. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting that you have to also take breaks. You know, I give my impasse permission to go in and out of the, the tent. You know, whenever you want, it doesn't bother me, Yeah, you know, just to get that break if it's feeling too overwhelming and also to eat well, and you know, to really get a lot of protein when you do um, workshops is that that will keep you more grounded.
3: Very interesting. Yeah, I just thought, oh, now you're an empath giving empathic workshops for people that are empaths. <laughs> 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 so I just thought that might be kind of an interesting scene. I have a hard time in large groups. You know, I, for a little bit is good, but over a period of time, I, I even come out of a room feeling sticky. You know, like I could feel the energy on my body.
2: Right, exactly. I, a lot of empaths feel just that way. And so for that particular sensation, you could jump into a shower or a bath. Exactly. Water great for fire. Yeah.
3: Now, um, why don't we just talk about that, the different types of empaths that there are, because you identify them.
2: Yes. Um, Well, they're animal empaths, empaths who have a special intuitive communion to animals. Um, When you think of St. Francis, No, he was definitely an animal empath. He would give his sermons to schools of fish and flocks of birds. And when he would go into isolation, as many empaths do, he would just be with his animal friends. A lot of empaths, animal empaths, feel more comfortable with animals than they do with people. And a lot go into animal rescue and, you know, really take care of the animal world. It's our responsibility and our honor to take care of the animal World, so there's um, animal empath. There's the earth empath, and the earth empath is somebody who's very attuned to the earth. And the earth changes, and you can actually attune to the earth in meditation and feel the energy of the earth coming through you, the deep mother earth, you know, very, very strongly. Um, and and uh, earth empaths can also feel the tragedies that happen to the earth. You no, know, I have patients who. You know, can feel oil spills in their body when the earth is being ravaged or when the forests are being cut down or there's some kind of harm being done to the earth because on an intuitive level there's no difference between our bodies and the earth and empaths of all people know that so well mm. um, so there's the empath, uh, earth empath there's the dream empath the dream empath is somebody who can dream and travel in their dreams and be able to Feel into other people in their dreams and and get guidance and um, sometimes see the future in their in their dreams. You no, know, it's it's a really a, I I'm, I happen to be a dream empath. I have a deep relationship with my dream life. Someone was is talking about how the, when they woke up in the morning, they had obsessive thoughts or what am I going to do today or what, what's my to-do list? And they asked me if I ever had them first thing in the morning. And I said, no, because what I do is I, you know, lie in bed and remember my dreams and write them down. That's the first thing I do in the morning. So it's, you know, it's, it's a deep communion with what happened during those eight hours of sleep.
3: Mm. Mm. Yes, and you've got uh, mediumship empaths.
2: And what are those? Those are mediumship that- empaths are people who have a special connection to the other side where the veil is, is lifted and they're able to communicate with um, spiritual beings on the other side of this planet, of this earth plane. And precognitive empaths? These are empaths who can predict the future where they have a these are all under the category of intuitive empaths who are specially attuned intuitive abilities. And one of those is being able to predict the future in dreams or while awake. And then mm-hmm. there's telepathic empaths who uh, you, you more can communicate with somebody's mind when you're standing with them in present time versus precog, which is in the future. And so, all you know, the, all the intuitive empaths have all this, you know, realm of consciousness to play with. We we talked, we began this interview with the, you know, the difficulties of being an empath and how you can get so overwhelmed. But the flip side is that you can explore all these different aspects of yourself and consciousness, which is so exciting.
3: It's a skill, too, that you can develop even more of, don't you think that, you know, people can, you know, if you have a telepathic if you're a telepathic empath, you can also develop more of the medium ship empathy or empath. I mean that they they blur, they kind of spread into each other all these
2: intuitive skills. They can, but what I found Kelly is sometimes people have a particular talent for one or another and are drawn to them more. Mm,
3: interesting.
2: Yeah. And so I suggest, you know, when people read up on this in the book to be able to, you know, see what are you drawn to and what are you interested in? Maybe you're you're drawn to exploring something else and deepening a different level of intuition um, in yourself. Um, And then there are also um, relationship empaths and food empaths, too, which are really fascinating. And physical empaths. And physical empaths. Physical. The main two types of empaths are physical empaths, emotional empaths, and intuitive empaths. And under the category of intuitive empaths are the empaths we mentioned, the animal empath, the earth empath, and all of those. And then there's the physical empath who can actually feel what's going on in your body in their body. So they have a physical empathy. And these people make great medical intuitives because they can feel what's going on in other people's bodies and diagnose uh, what they don't want to do. And what I am teaching people in the book not to do is take on other people's stuff. You don't want to take on their physical symptoms. That's not healthy. You don't want to do that. and You'll never have any longevity as a, as a healer if you do that. And then the same is with an emotional empath. Is really the most common, but this is where you're an emotional sponge and you literally take on the anxiety, the fear, the joy, the compassion of others into your own body. Uh, you literally do that. And so it's important um, for people to notice what type of empath am I? You can go through the quiz. Are you an empath? And really identify what is my main way or am I a combination A lot of people are combinations of physical and emotional and intuitive. So just see what you are and then learn skills that I'll teach you not to absorb other people's emotions, physical symptoms or anything else. You don't want to do that. You want to be very clear and grounded and not take on other people's stuff. Then you can enjoy you know, the, the thrill, really, of being an empath, I wouldn't give up my sensitivities for anything in the world. And certainly as a physician, it helps me tune in the patients because I can feel what they're feeling. But this, how, do you, how do you use it in your practice? Um, well, when a patient comes in, I listen to what they have to say. But at the same time, my empath abilities are turned on. So I'm feeling what's going on in their heart in their body. Um, I'm able to really get what's happened in their past that's relevant to what they're they're asking about and so i'm taking in and absorbing all this information while they're telling me the linear story of why they're there and so i can use all the extra information i get via my empath skills to to help them and i want to say there's a section in the book on being an empathic healer or therapist and a guide to that which is really important from my vantage point because I've seen so many empath healers burn out. You know, really talented ones. And I we can't afford to lose you at this time in history. We need all the empathic healers we can get. Yes, and it's
3: wonderful work that you're doing. We need them. We need them and they need they need you.
2: Oh, thank you. Now,
3: you, I, I really love what you write about um, some very interesting scientific findings that explain the empath's experience, such as electromagnetic fields, mirror neurons, increased dopamine sensitivity, emotional contagion. Could you speak to some of that? I think our our listeners would be very interested in that.
2: Oh, right. There's a section on the book on the science of empaths and empathy. And what's so fascinating is the mirror neuron system, which are the compassion neurons. Um, they allow you to mirror another person's feelings. They're a part of your brain. They're your, the neurons in your brain, a particular type that allow you to have compassion for others. And they get activated. And what the thought is with empaths is that they're hyperactivated, where you have a, an excess of compassion. Um, where you feel everything for other people versus let's say a narcissist or a psychopath sociopath who are low on the empathic spectrum and have hypoactive mirror neurons meaning they're not really working (laughs) so they don't have Uh, I never thought of that that's very interesting yeah yeah and then you know there are people all along the spectrum of empathy you know there's the narcissist on the bottom the empath on the top and then everyone you know in between which is all perfect everyone is in their perfect position on the empath spectrum but just know it's your mirror neurons that are helping you tune into other people and be compassionate for them Um, so that's one of the great research findings with regard to empath and then there's the whole concept of emotional contagion which has been documented by science and what that is is that If you're, let's say, in a workplace and somebody's very anxious in that workplace, that anxiety will spread like a virus to everybody because emotions are catchy. And empaths, they are super catchy. (laughs) And it it can actually demolish an empath to feel that intensity of anxiety in a crowd. Mm. Crowd effect happens. Or the flip side is if someone's feeling really happy or joyous. That joy will spread to the group. So there's an emotional contagion with, with both positive and difficult emotions. So just for you to be aware of that, that, that could happen in your family structure. Now you're at a dinner, fam, dinner table with your family and somebody starts up with this long rant about their anxiety. You know, most likely that's going to spread and you're going to absorb it.
3: Uh, for me I don't even need to hear anybody say anything I can feel it
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah.
3: in the room yeah yeah. Yeah,
2: you, yeah you can you can and if people want to amp it up all they have to do is keep talking about it and then it really spreads it's uh, so emotions are catchy people need to know that their energy they're catchy they spread so you want to spread all the positive good stuff around is, is the message and empaths just you know, soak up all the wonderful, positive, loving, compassionate, fun emotions also. So, and then there's um, another mechanism regarding the science of empathy uh, with regard to the electromagnetic fields. The HeartMath Institute has done great work on this, where they've shown that emotions and energy really is transmitted through the electromagnetic Um, spectrum of our bodies our hearts give off tremendous electromagnetic waves as do our brains oh
3: yeah and they synchronize
2: yeah and they Mm -hmm. synchronize and they transmit so empaths can pick all of this up you see so it gets uh emotions and information gets transmitted that way and empaths are super receivers so they they pick all this stuff up So it's coming at you from all angles. And then the whole dopamine explanation is so fascinating as well, because it's been shown that extroverts, dopamine is the pleasure hormone, and it makes you feel a lot of pleasure. And extroverts crave dopamine, and they get get it from being with lots of people and high stimulation. Um, Empaths don't need that much dopamine because they have enough of it. And they get satisfied by small interactions that give them pleasure and get overwhelmed by too much dopamine exposure. And so you think about that one neurochemical in the body that's mediating our social response. You know, how much do we want to go out and be with people? Extroverts love it, they can't wait. Empaths like to stay home and, you know, have their friends over, you know, right. over. <laughs> or play with your pets, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or meditate or take a bath. <laughs> yeah, sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> but narcissists are a little different. And why you can't win them over with love is because they have an empathy deficient disorder, which means they don't have the same expression of empathy As an empath does, and this is so hard for my empath patients to get, the narcissist can be charming and smart and funny and reel you in and they seem empathic and they seem loving until you don't go along with their program. And once you don't keep lifting them up and boosting their ego or doing things the way they want to do, they become cold withholding and punishing And that tortures empaths. And then the empath, what happens, is that they amp up their love because they think they could win over this person with their love. If only they could do more for this person. And it just doesn't work that way. And I've seen in my psychotherapy practice, you know, many women and men, I mean, narcissists can be both women and men, who get hooked into relationships for two decades they can't get out. Because the minute they try and leave, the narcissist knows how to reel them in with saying the perfect thing. It's just uncanny, you know, their their intuitive abilities to do that. And so I've helped many a person out of a relationship and narcissistic relationship. And if you do leave, you have to go cold turkey and never look back. Hey everybody, thank you for listening. Until next time,
3: be well.
1: You have been listening to Theater of the Mind podcast, accelerating the evolution of human consciousness. Visit Theater of the Mind online at www.kellyhowell.com. Leave comments, questions, and feedback and join the conversation about consciousness. We want to know what you're thinking. Theater of the Mind podcast is brought to you by Brainsync.com. CDs and MP3 downloads for peak performance. Find them at www.brainsync.com.